This is The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. David is the senior pastor of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande in Casa Grande, Arizona. We need to be continually reminded of how fast, how wide, how expansive that offer of salvation is for all who would follow. Christian Jews of Paul's day, they had it all figured out. They thought they'd finally come to the realization and the completeness of God's purpose and plan. What they didn't understand was that God's plan, His purpose was so much bigger than their thoughts, than their plans. In times of serious illness or loss, you've probably not thought of your situation as glorified, but it could be. Martha and Mary believed that Jesus could heal Lazarus, and they wondered why he hadn't come. Well, the Lord has a plan for us, and he can use any situation to bring us to the place that he wants us to be, even if we can't see it ourselves. Whether it's a broken relationship or financial hardship, his purpose is to draw us nearer to him, refining us in ways that are beyond our limited comprehension. Let's join Pastor David in the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, verse 8. For the conclusion of our message entitled, Chosen for His Good Pleasure. The really sad thing is is that when we as believers look at others and say, Well, I know that God can forgive my sin because my sin isn't that great. But your sin, I don't know about that. Really? Can we limit the, the grace of God? Can we limit the abundance of God? Can we limit the lavishness of God? If I gave you $100,000, would you really, really complain that much if I gave someone else $150,000 or $200,000? Would your selfishness so overwhelm you that, ooh, why does he get that? That sounds a little bit like the older brother of the prodigal son in that situation, doesn't it? See, the lavishness of God's grace, the abundance of God's grace, it's poured out. Every word Paul uses in the Greek there in dealing with this whole idea of abound. The word that he uses there, it really has the meaning of being super abundant. That means in quantity. And also superior in quality. As God pours out his grace upon you and I, that means it's not measured. It's full to overflowing. That means he's not stingy at all with his grace. He gives it completely. Julia Johnston, who was a hymn writer of a century ago, I believe that she understood exactly what Paul is saying in this. Is she wrote that song, Marvelous Grace of Our Loving Lord. Grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. Yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured, there where the blood of the Lamb was spilt. Grace. Grace. God's Grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that is greater than all our sin. Another verse she writes that brings it home even more. She says, oh marvelous, infinite and matchless grace. Freely bestowed, freely bestowed on all who believe. You that are longing to see this face. Will you this moment His grace receive? 
The Lord made his grace to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. We understand from his word that his grace was given, not in a random, not in a cavalier way. It was purposeful, it was direct, it was according to his divine wisdom, to his insight, not because of the cleverness of, of any man, but through the wisdom of God, and he makes it available for the whosoever's that will, for those that will call upon the name of the Lord. In the midst of redemption, in the midst of forgiveness, and the outpouring of his grace, he tells us in verse 9, here he says, having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in himself. Well, what is this mystery that Paul's speaking of? Well, he tells it to us a little bit more clearly in, in chapter 3, and we'll get into that a little bit more once we get there, but basically there in chapter 3 of Ephesians, chapter 3, verse 6, he says, the mystery is that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body, partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. Now, one of the things we haven't touched on it yet, uh, we're going to wait until we actually get there down in verse 13, but I'll just kind of whet your appetite for it. I really and truly believe that this first portion, these first several verses, the first dozen verses that Paul is writing here, he's speaking as a Jew to, again, the fulfillment of the promises of God to the Jews by sending the Jewish Messiah. And then in verse 13, we have this, oh, in him you also trusted. Because you see, up through verse 12, he's speaking of we and us and what God has done for us. And then suddenly in verse 13, he changes it and he says, but you also. You see, Paul is speaking again of the, of the broadness, the, the wideness of the offer and the gift of salvation. And you and I need to understand that this whole idea was, was world-shaking stuff to the Jews. The Jew was so sure that God loved only them and that the, the hope was only for them. That they, that's why they would require Gentiles to come before you come to faith in Christ. You've got to go through the Jewish ceremony. You've got to become a Jew first. That's where the Judaizers come in. Because they just knew you had to be a Jew first. Now Paul says, no, man, he's going to go beyond that. That's why in chapter 2, he also says that this barrier, this wall that's between Jew and Gentile, Christ is broken down. Throughout the whole book of Ephesians, he's continually declaring the great wideness of God's plan of salvation. That's why it blows me away when I hear people use phrases and verses from Ephesians to prove that the election of God and that the atonement is limited. Where over and over he says, no, it goes beyond, it goes so far beyond we need to be continually reminded of how vast, how wide, how expansive that offer of salvation is for all who would follow. The Christian Jews of Paul's day, they had it all figured out. They thought they'd finally come to the realization and the completeness of God's purpose and plan. What they didn't understand was that God's plan, his purpose was so much bigger than their thoughts, than their plans were. Here it is again, just like it was in, in, in verse 5 and 6. We see it here again. That he did all of this according to 
his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. There in verse 9 speaks of it. And all this was done, all this was fulfilled in the time frame. The time frame of God, a particular plan that he had. We look in verse 10. Verse 10 tells us that it was in the dispensation of the fullness of times. The dispensation of the fullness of times. What does Paul mean by that statement? The dispensation of the fullness of times. Well, basically, he's speaking about the fact that God has a plan. God has a timetable. And in the fullness of the time, in the completion of the time of God's timetable, at just the right time, he set all of these things into motion. Again, according to the good pleasure which he purposed in himself. We read in Galatians chapter 4 how it was when the fullness of the time had come that God sent forth his son, born of a woman. The fullness of time again. Well, whose time? Mary's time? Well, yeah, definitely it was Mary's time. She, she had gone through the nine months of, uh, again, the pregnancy and then the fullness of time. But it was much, much more than that because, you see, God had a grander scheme than that. God had set this whole thing in motion, not just nine months prior to the birth of Christ, but even as we read here in Ephesians, before the very foundation of the world, he set this. And then in the fullness of God's time, in the fullness of God's purpose, God sent forth his son, born of a woman. The writer of Hebrews tells us, in Hebrews' very beginning chapter, the first couple of verses, he says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past, to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son. Well, why now? Why was that the time? Was it because the, the prophets didn't do a good enough job? And so suddenly God said, well, I had to send all these prophets. They were supposed to give the truth. The people were supposed to receive it. They didn't. They killed all the prophets. I'm going to have to come up with another plan. No. Because the prophets, again, were laying out the foreground. They were laying the foundation, the fulfillment of the reality of the planned coming of Christ at just the right time. It wasn't a haphazard event, but it was the planned purpose of God's infinite wisdom that in these days he now speaks to us through his Son. That in the fullness of time God sent forth his Son. Have you ever noticed, I mean really and truly, in, in your own life, have you ever noticed the fact, we think in retrospect here because thinking in the present sometimes is difficult, but thinking, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. but have you ever noticed the fact that God really and truly is never late? He's never late. He's very seldom early. <laughs> well, one thing we do know, he's always on time. Because it's by his time frame and not yours and mine. You may have situations in, in your life that you're waiting for God to move. You're waiting for God to act on. You might feel even this morning that God's running a little late on the schedule. That's why I said we need to look in, in the back, because many times the present time gets us thinking different. You're trying to think that God's running maybe a little late or maybe a, a lot late for you and your situation. And because of the limited logic of our understanding, God 
in our mind, he should have shown up well before now. Situations that some of you are going through. Some of you that I know situations, some of you I, I haven't even begun to know all that you're going through. You wonder, why didn't God show up four weeks ago? Why didn't God show up two years ago? Why didn't God show up yesterday? See, we're, we're thinking that God is late in this issue, but I want to encourage you this morning that God is right on time. And what he's doing in your life right now, you and I can't even begin to understand the limited logic, the limited understanding that we have. Do you remember the story of Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus? Do you remember when Lazarus died? Do you remember that story? I want you to go with me again to that story, to that situation. It's found in John chapter 11. You can either turn there or you can read it for yourself again later this week. But the anguish of both Martha and Mary as they spoke to Jesus. In essence, they were speaking to Jesus that now that you've shown up, it's too late for you to do any good. That's in essence what their thought process was. We find in John chapter 11, we'll skip all the way down to verse 17, where now Jesus has arrived at the scene and Lazarus has already been dead. Down to verse 17 we read, So when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away, and many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. In verse 20, and then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, but Mary was sitting in the house. Let me pause right there for a moment. Remember the story a little earlier in the Gospel accounts, again, Mary and Martha and Lazarus, and remember, as Jesus was there visiting with them, and he was teaching them, and remember the one who sat at Jesus' feet, enjoying just the, uh, the reality of his presence, the, the teachings that he was giving, was Mary. And remember, Martha was the one who was busy about many things, doing the work. Well, here it is, Martha again, she's the first one coming out, and Mary is still sitting at home. I have to think in my mind... I wonder what's going on in Mary's mind right now. I wonder if Mary is so frustrated. I know there's a lot of speculation on my point, but I also take it with uh, uh, a speak of experience, not only mine, but of others too. You've really trusted the Lord and really put your life into his hands, and then suddenly there is this disappointment that comes. How well do we deal with that? Martha, we know she's the action lady, right? So she goes out first. In verse 21 it says, Then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. You see, Martha had God all figured out. She knew how God worked, or at least how he should have worked in this case. She figured that her brother Lazarus was sick, and surely the Lord loved Lazarus, so surely he should have come and healed him. But he didn't, and he allowed him to die. And now she comes out to Jesus and says, You know, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. 
A little bit later, after Martha's dialogue with Jesus had ended, out comes Mary. She loved the Lord too, and she was just as confused, I believe, as her sister was. Down in verse 32, Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet. She still loved him. She, she still worshipped him. She still knew who he was. That was all there. But yet there was still this confusion that's going on in her mind at this point in time, much like you and I would have. She says, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. I don't want you to play dumb. I don't want you to even play religious at this point in time. But the fact is, is many of us would have been right where Martha and Mary were. Second-guessing the timing of God in response to our own personal tragedy. As a matter of fact, probably some of you, if not many of you here today, you've been there. You might even still be in that spot today. Lord, if you would have only answered my prayer. If you would have only, and then just, just fill in the blank for your situation. But it's interesting, it wasn't just Mary and Martha that were confused here. The whole community they had lived in, they didn't understand what was happening either because they had heard of this Jesus. They understood the faith that Mary and Martha had in him, and perhaps even some of that community had that same kind of faith. And we read down in verse 37 that some of those that had gathered around, some of them said, Could not this man, who opened the eyes of the blind, also have kept this man from dying? Well, that's a hardcore question. That's, that's, a, that's a reality of questions that you and I ask. That's a question that people who know that we're believers and they see what you're going through. Your God is that great? He hasn't healed you yet. If your God is really that great, how come your relationship is so messed up? If your God is that great, how come your finances are the way that they are? On and on and on we could go with scenarios. I'll tell you right now. Trusting in the sovereign hand and work of God in our lives. It can sometimes be kind of embarrassing, can't it? Because we're trusting the unseen. We're trusting in the unknown. And the world around us is looking and says, you're such a fool. Don't you know it's time for you to pick yourself up by your bootstraps and get things working? Don't you know it's time for you to take control and charge of your life? Because apparently this God that you're serving, he's not doing anything. To really understand the whole timing of the situation with Lazarus and Jesus, we need to hear the earlier response of Jesus once he found out that Lazarus was sick. You see, Jesus, because he was in communication with the Father, he knew that the Father had a greater plan than simply healing him of whatever disease or sickness that he had. Look back, still in John 11, but look back up to verse 4 and listen with your heart what is said there. 
When Jesus heard that, again, that Lazarus was sick, he said, this sickness is not unto death. Speaking of spiritual death is what he's speaking of. But again, the sickness is for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Beloved, above all things, all things that you know, all things that you and I walk in, the very foundation of our life, we have to know and understand that the plan and the purpose of God, His timetable, the fullness of His time, He's going to work out. And many, many times in a different way than you and I desire for it to be. Because again, as I've said in the study in Ephesians, we are limited in our understanding of what's going on today. We have a vague remembrance of yesterday, and we have absolutely no clue of tomorrow. So we have to trust in the one who is omniscient, all-knowing, omnipotent, all-powerful. The one who is in charge of all of our life. If we truly say, I am his, I am his slave. I've surrendered myself to him. I am dead in order that he might live. And in the situations of our lives, as bad as they might get, and beloved, I know that it gets bad. I know that in this world you're going to have many tribulations. Jesus reminded us of that. That's one of those promises we don't pull out of the box too often and stand on, right? He says, in this world you're going to have many tribulations, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So I can stand firm in the fact that God is in charge. All of this, he says, that God is doing these things back in Ephesians, but also in what Jesus just said about the whole idea of Lazarus. Again, for the glory of God. As he tells us here in Ephesians, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. All of this, in order that here in Ephesians, when we get back to verse 10, that God might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. You know what? You and I, if we've come by faith to receive the forgiveness of our sin through Christ, if we've been adopted into the family of God, we're part of that glorious planned event. That fullness, that completeness that God's working out. God purposed to make a way available for our adoption, for our place in His family, by the giving of Christ as that one and only sufficient sacrifice for our sin. And as we now come into the family of Christ, and we're bought into the family of Christ by His precious blood, then we have to know and understand that God, in the fullness of His time, in the dispensation of all that He is working for His glory, that He's going to pull all of these things together. And I know, I understand, that some of it, we may not see the fullness of it, this side of glory. I understand that. But all you need to do is go back to Hebrews chapter 11. You see a lot of folks, the declaration of a lot of folks, and man, they just stood. They stood in faith, having not yet received the fulfillment or the completeness of that promise. Yet they stood in faith for Oh, that we would be a Hebrews 11 people. That we would be able to stand. Man, 
Not, not looking for a city that's made with hands. Not, not looking for the comfort that this life has to bring. But looking to glorify our Lord and our King. In whatever way, whatever form that takes in our lives. That He would be all in all. All the time. For His glory. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of The Open Word. Pastor David will continue verse by verse through the book of Ephesians next time. Now, we want to encourage you to become a Facebook friend with us. Log on to TheOpenWord.com and follow the link to The Open Word Facebook page. To stay current with what's being broadcasted here on The Open Word, subscribe to our Twitter feed at The Open Word Radio. You can subscribe to The Open Word Podcast at TheOpenWord.com or search for The Open Word in the iTunes Store. The Open Word Podcast is always available and completely free. If you're like most people, you probably use a smartphone. Once you subscribe to The Open Word Podcast, you'll always have solid Bible teaching available to you anywhere, anytime. So log on to TheOpenWord.com and subscribe to The Open Word Podcast. And to become our Facebook friend, follow the Open Word Twitter feed, or to access the archive of messages, log on to theopenword.com. Well, that's all the time we have for today. We invite you to join us again for the next study of Pastor David's teaching through the book of Ephesians. That's next time on The Open Word.